It's the doc and the deacon, stethoscope and hope, talking everything from poop to the pope. One believing in spiritual miracles, the other believes in movement vows that are irritable. Two dads, more like two brothers, and they breaking bread like the Last Supper. This show won't get negative feedback, that be like the deacon prescribing a Z-Pack. So don't get it twisted like a Philly pretzel, Foles already told y'all that Philly special. Take notes from the knowledge they're teaching, pay attention, it's the doc and the deacon speaking. Welcome to Doc and the Deacon, a podcast about two dads, one of us believing in the power of science, one of us believing in the power of Jesus, but both of us believing in the power of an ice-cold beer. And recently, Holla. this week, a patient came in, and she's like, hey, Doc, how are you doing? I was like, I'm doing great. And she goes, did she know that you, you're like past like the midway point of your life, probably? Oh, I don't know that she did, but she was very worried. Like, do I about- mean, agree on that, right? You, there's no way you think you're living past like 90. Probably not. I'm past. Yeah, the yeah. midway point of my life. Yeah, mm. yeah. I would midlife crisis. Oh my gosh! This means the show's almost over. Mm. Right? I can't get wait. into it now. Oh my gosh! I can't wait to see what sports car you get. <laughs> you think I'm in my midlife crisis? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I can get a sports car. I've got two like young kids. I've got to carry all the basketballs, take oh, coaching. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on. But she looked at me, and she says, I love "I'm you. worried about." Your death and the afterlife, because I know you haven't found Jesus. She's got a very good point. I worry about it all the time. I pray for you all the time. Yeah, I need those prayers. The, the, the tricky part is, I don't know what's going to happen after I die. But I, I do, do know. I do know that when I die, mm. I'm going to die peacefully. So today on the show, we have a nurse practitioner boarded in palliative care to come to talk about. When I say palliative, you say care. Palliative. Care. Palliative. Care. This is ridiculous. I want to introduce Chris Coletta Hansen. And so first thing I want to ask you is, are you sure it was a good idea for you to come on the show? I'm I'm learning real quick as I go that this might have been something I should have gave a second thought to. (laughs) Well, if if you find it painful, I know someone who helps, whose goal it is to alleviate pain and suffering. I can I can self treat. Yes, yes. Oh, I thought he was talking about Jesus. <laughs> I thought for sure he had just come to the other side. He had a Bible sitting in front of him. I said, "Oh, here he comes." No, I did not. I did not. So there was a time where we only had physicians and barber surgeons before everyone started to specialize. And in 1967, a woman, Cicely Saunders, United K did physician. You, hold, hold on, hold on. You just said physicians. Yeah. And barber surgeon. Yes, that's what okay. people were. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then over time, new specialties came. And in 1967, the idea of hospice. 1974, a physician at McGill University in Canada, because we love Canada, coined the term on palliative care. Eh? And so, eh? Eh, I married a Canadian. And so let's hear, what the heck does palliative care mean? So palliative care is a relatively new specialty um, as far as medical specialties go. It's one of the ones we still consider in its infancy. Um, The same year I graduated medical school, 2006. So very true. And when you were talking about Dame Cicely Saunders, that was the same year I was born. So I'm aging myself right here, 67. Um, People right now are driving and trying to do the math. Please don't crash. (laughs) Um, 
so palliative medicine, we like to say that all hospice is palliative, but not all palliative is hospice. So what palliative medicine is, is a medical subspecialty where our focus is taking care of people with a lot of complex medical care needs, a lot of serious illness and symptom burden needs. And we can follow anybody at any stage of their illness. We can, a newly diagnosed patient with congestive heart failure, somebody with COPD, a cancer patient who's newly diagnosed. Um, we can follow them at any time to focus on their... Now, when you say follow, oh. what, what does that mean? Okay. That, that means treat. Treat their symptoms and also do everything we can to be very specific to their their personal goals for their medical care. Okay. That makes sense because I was like, we were in Orlando and I had like... 12 field hockey girls with me and there was a table full of soccer boys and they were like, yo, can I follow you? And I, <laughs> like they're looking for Snapchats and, and Instagram and I didn't know. So follow is, is definitely, you know, right. different in you're different right. lights. So um, now I know, I know what you're talking about. Although now that I'm feeling inspired, maybe we need to follow them that way too. Um, no, it, it's really true. We're following their symptoms, their, their goals for care, which are very unique and very individual. Each patient has very different goals and they have different goals throughout this stage of their illness. So let's talk about that. How do you go about framing a conversation with someone who's sick on how to create goals of care going forward? It's a really good question. And I think that's... Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> it's not my first time. <laughs> um, really, the, the way we typically will open in our conversations with our patients are, the first question is... Why are you here and what is most important to you? What do I need to know that's most important about you? And do you ask if they're religious? You know, I don't as our initial question, but throughout the visit, we will explore spirituality. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and some patients are very, very clear that they have a strong religious um, dogma or background and that kind of guides some of their decisions about how they make their life choices. Sure. And, and some people are agnostic and, and don't believe at all. So, and you get to see how that all plays out throughout the course of their illness. But, um, goals of care discussions are always what's most important to them. And then also what do they understand about their illness? We, we assume that patients hear everything their physicians and care providers are saying to them. And, and what we, what we now know is typically the average patient is only assimilating a third of the information they're hearing in a visit. Oh, the so. deacon only picks up a quarter of what I say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Listen, say something to me that's you know, worth me listening for, and I'll, I'll do it. You'll pay attention. Um, so, so clarifying what they understand about their current disease course is super important to their goals of care. So something I really struggle with sometimes is I want to be straightforward and honest with patients about how they're doing. And there is a level of you're trying to feel out a patient when you're seeing them as to, how much can they take right now? But I also don't want to lie to them about mm -hmm. what I think their prognosis is or how they're going to do. And they're like, I'm going to be okay, right, doc? And I'm like, uh, we maybe need to call the deacon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's important to, and I know that you guys are very skilled in um, finding those, those, those bonds of trust to be able to 
um, share some of the most intimate details of someone's life with them and, and even some of the most um, challenging news that they might hear. One of my questions is, you know, in this day and age, right, with, I feel like families live further and further apart. You know, there's people moving all over the country. How does that impact your role when you're taking care of someone who is, has an illness or declining health and they have family members who are responsible or want to be informed on like the steps. Well, I mean, I give it referrals in Norristown. Everybody's still there. That's right. Everybody in, Nor- <laughs> Everybody in Norristown. Nobody left. It's it is a different it is a different age. I mean, if we went back twenty years ago, patients and families were caregiving in their home. You know, not everybody was working outside the home. Um, we, we, now it's different. You know, nobody worked outside the home since 2020. (laughs) I did a visit with a patient and they brought in their iPad and they put eight people up on the screen, Mm -hmm. eight people. And they were all chirping at the same time. It was like when Steve Harvey at the end asked you something and they asked all the family members, they're all yelling at the same time. (laughs) This is how the visit was after it. I went out, I had to splash water on my face. <laughs> I was like, I killed it there. I'm buzzing my nurse for like an extra coffee. It was a lot. It were eight people all talking at the same time. I mean, it was, you know, but we made it through. Yeah. We, we do that all the time. A lot of times when physicians like you, Chris, you know, refer your patients to us, we're seeing them for the first time. And they've got every family member either dialed in on speakerphone or on Zoom or on FaceTime. And you're answering every question you possibly can because a lot of our families just their their caregivers or their children don't don't live in the same zip code. A lot of people are living by themselves. Do you ever use the term advanced care planning mm. in palliative care? Yes. So when we talk about goals of care and, and patients understanding their disease and we're starting to treat all of their symptoms to help give them the best quality of life we possibly can we always will dovetail the conversation into a bigger, more important question, which is, you know, how can we address their, what we call their living will, durable power of attorney for healthcare? Two very important things. And I love that you brought that up because that is something we should all be talking about before we're sick. Well, you know, I I only bring it up. I didn't, I didn't invent it. You know, in fact, I think. (laughs) You should have. You talk about palliative care being relatively new. I think palliative care may be as old as some of the concepts that lead us today. In fact, I think Jesus was the first advanced care planner. Very true. So Can you so, extrapolate yeah, on so that? Let me, tell, let me tell you what Jesus did, right? Besides carrying the weight of all of our sins and you know, uh, being the son of God. Um, you know, he spoke openly about his pending death with people close to him, despite the resistance and dismay of others. So in in the book of Matthew, it talks about how he told his disciples that he would be leaving them. And he talked about the idea that he was no longer going to be with them and they would be visited later uh, by someone else. He participated in a celebration of his life on Palm Sunday. Just five days before he was crucified. A celebration of life. Right? 
He uh, he arranged if Chris was there last supper with his friends, where he shared symbols of remembrance. Right, mm -hmm. he asked his friends to be with him while he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before his ultimate demise. And then he took it a step further and he even planned his own mother's care post-death by having John make sure that she was going to be cared for. I mean, so when you think about it, right? Think about how, I mean, you could, you, we could talk about, you know, was he a prophet? Was he that? Was he that, right? I could tell you one thing. He knew about palliative care before anybody did. And you just you just reminded me Jesus probably was one of the very first uh, holistic practitioners. Ooh, girl. Right? So he was talking about how important body, mind and spirit mm. are on that journey. Father, Son and the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. There's a chance I'm outnumbered here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris, say Jesus had come to you and said, "I don't want to be in pain while I am up on the crucifix, what would we have done to make him most comfortable as he's hanging there? Mm. So we would have seen if we could have found some of the poppy seed and help um, help control that pain Ooh, with yeah. a little bit of poppy back then. Love it. So the poppy would would, would be, uh, is that morphine? A precursor to morphine. Yeah. yeah. Look yeah, at this, Look at this guy. Mm -hmm. I ain't even got nothing. Mm -hmm. I have no papers in front of me. I just know my, yeah. the Lord spoke to me. Chris, what plan has Ativan in it? <laughs> I don't know, but now I'm going to have to Google that. Yeah. What, what's Ativan for? Lorazepam. It's a sedative. What's for hyperactivity? Adderall. What plan? Oh, I thought it was for me. I, I didn't know what you were talking about. Okay, good. I got it. So now that you have made Jesus's death more comfortable. I want to know, why did you pick palliative care as a specialty? So the, the truth is I started nursing as an ICU nurse and, and I ran on an ambulance as an EMT. I was, a, I was an adrenaline junkie until one day we were, um, we were in the unit and there was a 90 plus year old woman who was what we call fetally contracted. Her arms and her knees were brought up to her chest and it was before the days where we really had, to your point, Deacon, um, advanced care planning discussions. We just yeah. didn't have them back then. And in order to do effective CPR on her, it we had to separate her arms and her knees to get to that. And I went home that day and I you talk about spirituality and I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't think I can ever do that again. She didn't have an advocate. She didn't have family. She had nobody. And it just so happened back in the days when there was newspapers, um, I was looking in the ads and a new hospice program had just opened the very first one in Philadelphia. So she was, for a single white female. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> And Were you single or married at the time? I was, I would, hospice, I was married. Okay. I was married at the time. Right. So I could, I would have to be married white female. But, um, and I, I was young. I was only 24 years old. It was a big jump. And already married. I was already married. Wow. To a doctor. Yes. And you're not from the South. <laughs> no, no. All and right. it was, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
And and I was like, wow, this is a new thing. Let me explore that. And from the very moment I did that interview, and they were really leery because what 24-year-old understands anything really about death and dying? You know anything about life. Care, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, Tupac only made it to 25. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> he knew a lot. Mm-hmm. He did a lot in his years. Yeah. But anyway, I, I interviewed, I got the job, and and so initially my journey brought me to hospice until I wanted to have my patients with me a little bit longer, yeah. and I wanted to be able to follow with them more longitudinally, and then... Because well, like you said, all hospice care is palliative, but not all palliative care is hospice. Is hospice. Yeah. And palliative care is meant to journey with patients throughout their disease state. It's meant, it's designed to be with them throughout their disease state. And it allows everything to be on the table. You know, yep. they can have any treatment they want. They can choose yes or no to anything that, that suits their goals for care and what speaks well to them mentally, physically, and spiritually. But it's also very holistic. The focus is on the body, mind, and spirit of the patient and their family. I mean, they're journeying with this with their caregivers too. I love it. I love it. Yes. I think the simple way I explain it to my medical students is you don't need to be terminally ill and you can use life-prolonging medications Mm -hmm. and they are encouraged when you're on palliative care. But obviously, we're trying to treat the whole person. So I want to go into, as palliative care, do you think that you're the nicest specialty or does pediatrics still win? (laughs) Personally, listen, I've got to pull out, you know, for all my palliative care peeps, we are the nicest specialty. Um, You know, even though in pediatrics, you got to deal with a lot of crazy parents, right? Um, We deal with a lot of families who are in distress. And so you have to really approach it from a kind place. The other part is, and I think Deacon really talked about when he was talking about Jesus and the vulnerability and meeting patients where they are, which is palliative care's unique gift, is meeting patients where they are in their journey and adjusting to where they are as that journey changes. I think we have to learn how to be empathetic and compassionate, and we really do get exposed to them at their most vulnerable. I always feel like birth and death and everything in between is a really sacred space, but when they invite you into their home or Mm. into their process of processing this new diagnosis or a terminal diagnosis, either one, they are at their most raw and vulnerable, and we are really honored to be able to be a piece of that and journey with them in that. Yeah, I'm going to throw a few been- more things in there. As I do a prostate exam on a man, <laughs> he seems quite vulnerable. While I'm in the midst of trying to find your cervix to make sure I get some of the endocervical yeah. cells, I also get the sense that women are quite vulnerable at that time. You know, yeah. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take it in a different direction because this reminded, <laughs> yes, please. This reminded me of something. You know, people letting us in, right? You know, you know who's let us in? Uh, 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 Travis and Taylor have let us in. To their story. And I'm going to tell you, did you know that the over-under for the number of times Jesus would be said on today's podcast was set at four? And beca- and I didn't know. So now we're going to let you, we've hit the over-under for Jesus in this episode. <laughs> Just like the over-under for the to- number of times Taylor Swift would be shown in the Super Bowl, I think is uh, 14. Both numbers were up on FanDuel. Yes. Yes. How do you keep yourself 
from getting depressed when oftentimes you're seeing people with complicated medical issues? Oh, that's such a loaded question. Um, I think it's really important that we have a team of, of providers that, that we can rely on and talk to and debrief um, with each other about, especially when we go through something that really touches our heart really in a big way. Um, sometimes it hits too close to home. It might mimic something we experienced in our personal life with a family member, with, with friends, what have you. Um, having people you can talk to, having good self-care. Um, and I think that comes in time. I don't think all of us young in our careers, I, I can remember very vividly being on call 24-7. And I felt like I needed to be on call 24-7 mm. and not have that disconnect. And Do you give out your cell phone number? Mm, not willingly anymore. Uh, used to all the time. Um, sometimes patients, you know, we talk about our technology and our iPads and our phones. Sometimes I'll call, return a call, and it's from my personal cell phone. So now patients, unfortunately, have oh, you stock, you stock simity, star six seven. Yeah, get out I, of here. I could do star six seven. Yeah, I get Facebook instant messenger yeah. things all the time. Oh, God. Yes, yes. And oftentimes, I'm not in front of the computer, right? I'm not doing work at that time. And so it really is not the way to do it. So my next question for you. One of the things that I struggle with is when a patient comes in and they say they either saw another provider or they saw someone and said, how long do I have to live? And when it comes to hospice versus palliative care, because hospice is part of palliative care, part of it is your lifespan is thought to be less than six months. And I know there are not set ways to really predict these things. And so I try to go out of my way to say, hours to days, days to weeks, weeks to months, months, I don't know. Do you have a good way to prognosticate? And do you have a certain wording when somebody goes, hey, Chris, how long am I going to be alive for? Yeah, I, I First, mean- how long do you think the deacon's gonna live? <laughs> Depends on how spicy he wants to keep it, you know. They, that I can... mean, there is, it's not it's not settling down. This is the settle down version. They they say only the good die young, so you know yeah. I, you might be around die. for a while. <laughs> um, no, we do. We are developing quite a robust. Um, that that's a big part of our field of research right now. Is prognostication prognosti- or phrasing? Prognostication. An algorithm. Algorithm. Is AI going to tell you when you're going to die? So funny. Am I going to die on a Thursday? <laughs> so funny that you say that. But the the and we, we do have tools that we utilize for prognostication. We have them for different disease states, right? Cancer, COPD, congestive heart failure. They're, they're different prognostication algorithm, algorithms that we use. Um, however... There is a huge push right now, and I just read a research article last week that they're utilizing AI on prognostication. And ironically, AI is getting it right far more than we mere mortal mm. care mm. providers are. He is. And- the, he, what? They called him the answer. <laughs> they called him the answer. Practice? We don't need no stinking practice. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what. There was a dude in the Bible, right? Abimelech. And, and what, 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 what was his name? Abimelech. Okay. So Abimelech, he could have used this. I must have missed that page. You missed that. So Abimelech went around, he, 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 he tore through all these uh, armies and, and countries, killing people left and right. And then he, he made it up to this fortified wall, and a woman dropped a millstone down from the wall and hit him in the head. 
and he survived, but he didn't know how long he was going to make it. And he said, I will not die by the hand of a woman. And so he ordered his um, armor bearer to kill him. Oh my. It would have been a really good time to have some prognostication. So was that assisted suicide? Well, that's a good question. We do an episode on that. Didn't Ooh. we do Dr. Death? We have not, but we have We done have a not lot of done on assisted suicide. So recently, there was an article in the New York Times. Okay. And it was on should we allow people with psychiatric illnesses? Should we allow someone with anorexia that had gone through multiple attempts of being healed <clears throat> to get palliative care and stop being treated for something that has a simple treatment that is eating. And it was quite debated. And there are some psychiatrists. And as I was discussing with people, and uh, Chris was coming on the show today, they sent me this article, which was taking my head everywhere and all over it. I don't know that I have the right answers. Should we allow someone to have palliative care or go on hospice from psychiatric illness? I, and I read that article. I loved that article. And there is a specialist, there, there are specialties now, palliative psychiatry. And palliative psychiatry was really kind of... It sounds like it's quite debated. Right? It, it is. and But I think it's also... Um, it really comes, it always circles back to, again, what Should are... Should someone with anorexia be allowed to die? What are your thoughts? I will say personally, I feel like it is treated like any other medical disease state. And I feel, although there is a psychiatric component, it is also biomedical. And patients still have the right to determine whether they want medical treatment or not. And for yeah. them, medical treatment would be invasive, feeding tubes mm -hmm. in order to get them to that place. It, yeah. I mean, it's not, there's this a is, lot of layers to it. This Force is the point in the use. show where I'm going to take the high road. <laughs> and this is, oh, the high road is actually uh, a beer from Tired Hands. Oh. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a minute here to, uh, you know, because we always say our tagline is what, Doc? Uh, Faith, science, ice cold beers. Holla. Yeah. So who do you think has given you the most referrals in the past year? Uh, you're up there, Chris. Oh, my you're God. You're up there. If it's, not even, if it's not that straightforward that I have the most, I need to step it up, and I will. <laughs> and I will. Can you tell me the most common diagnoses that often need a palliative care referral? Because I don't think that people realize they're home, they're sick, and oftentimes, because one of the things that you do that's amazing is you are caring for people in their home. And a lot of the patients that I refer, in certain ways, I kind of think if I could have and see them and have a nurse and go to their home, I could help try to relieve some of their suffering or put them in a good place. Mm -hmm. But for them to move, to come to my office, to schedule an appointment, if... If you could go out, I know you have a nurse you work with regularly and we share a lot of patients, that has taken so much burden off of families and people that at times I so appreciate you guys being there for what help we're able to give patients. 
And so I want to say uh, thank you more than anything. But what are the, your top five most common diagnoses that people get referred that are appropriate? Yeah. So, so our program does say, sees patients in the hospital. We're, we're very blessed. Einstein allows us to be able to, or Jefferson Einstein allows us to be able to see patients both in the hospital, in their homes. What are we called exactly? What are we? Einstein, yeah. Jefferson, gem. Jefferson, Einstein. We're gem. Einhorn is Finkel and Finkel is Einhorn. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and somebody the other day was like, I don't want to go to your hospital. I'm going to go to Jefferson. I was like, my hospital <laughs> is Jefferson. Good luck finding a parking spot there. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're lucky. So we have a wraparound program. So our patients who are in the hospital see our inpatient team. Um, I'm in charge of the outpatient team, which would be the homebound patients, the patients who can't get to your office or anybody else's office for that matter, because they're so sick and they're stuck in their homes. Um, and then we also, I also follow patients at a um, short-term rehab and I do palliative care at, at a short-term rehab as well. Has someone tried to feed you in their home? <laughs> no, all the time. How often has a dog or cat licked your <laughs> we, leg while you're in a home? We need to hear the top five diagnoses. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, so in, in the most common for all three of the arms of our program um, are are clearly cancer is one of our main diagnoses. Um, believe it or not, neurologic disorders is very high up there. We are seeing more and more patients all the time with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, um, stiff person syndrome, ALS. Um, we a lot, a lot of those. Talk and me then, through stiff person syndrome. So a very rare, only one to two percent of the total population have this have this neurologic disorder. It's a neuromuscular disorder. Um, still a lot of questions as to what the etiology is, where it started from. Is it autoimmune? We do find that most people with stiff person syndrome will have autoimmune cascade type of diseases. Um, but essentially what it does, and, and now I think it's coming into the forefront a little bit more because of Celine Dion, right? Mm. Um, we just found out that's what's been poor, wrong with... I think we've all looked on TV and saw poor Celine Dion kind of fading away, and we just didn't know why, but it's stiff person syndrome that she has. This is different than someone just having a stick up their butt. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. A little different. You know what? Stiff person syndrome <laughs> episode coming syndrome. soon. Coming soon. <laughs> coming soon. It, it is fascinating, um, but, but essentially they have terrible spasmodic pain throughout their entire periphery. Like every muscle in their body will spasm, will lock. It impacts mobility. Mm. It impacts swallowing. It, it impacts some, some have seizure disorders because of it. Um, very complex thing. I've, I've only had two patients in 30 years who have stiff person syndrome. So I want to point out one of the reasons that I wanted Chris on the show yeah. is... Well, first, once I realized I'd referred her a patient and this patient had a neurologic condition. And then because of Facebook, I saw that she was crowdsourcing to try to help get this patient some aid because it had a really bad prognosis. And this patient has actually recently passed. But in particular, I noticed that she was going out of her way when she wasn't at work to try to find supplies and different things for this patient who is quite ill. And I didn't like comment on it on Facebook, but I saw it and it made me realize, wow, that's pretty amazing that even though she's able to turn things off, she's trying to do everything she can. I also love the fact that she has to enter people's homes. 
Right. Not only that, she had to enter my home tonight <laughs> yeah. before I even got here while we were getting home from work. And recently, I had someone graduate off the palliative care service. Holla. Yeah, they discharged someone. How fantastic. How often <laughs> does that happen? More than you would think. Okay. Um, because we, and, and I think that's an important piece for patients' families to know. Sure. You know, they hear that word, it sounds scary to them. But oftentimes, once we can get their symptoms well managed and get them the supports that they need, um, a lot of times we will have patients be able to, to graduate from us. And that's a beautiful thing. That's, that's a beautiful thing. That's fantastic. You know, it's a lot of times at this time of the year, um, after, after a new year, typically what happens is like a new round of uh, what they call like a dead pool. Especially right after the holidays. Oh, yeah. Happens when they start mm-hmm. to think of like celebrities, like who do you think is going to go first? And we always seem so amazed you know, like I didn't even know, I didn't know Jane Fonda was still alive. <laughs> I did not. I had killed her off a couple of years ago. You're and not I'm a like, Grace and Frankie fan, I yeah. say. No, yeah. Well, today I'm driving home. Okay. Driving to work. And I see there's this big bakery near where we live, right? And they have signs up all the time. And I drive by and I see RIP in a person's name. Oh. And I am the physician of this person. Yeah. And I feel awful that I did not know this person died. But it also said the person's name and had the person's nickname. And I should have realized it wasn't quite that person's nickname. Oh. Uh, so I called the wife. Yeah. Hey, it's Dr. Drum. Yeah. I wrote out a little note. I write my condolence letters. I try to put something that I remember about the person, about their death. And I call the wife. And I'm like, I'm so sorry that this person died. I didn't. I mean, he was old, but I didn't realize he was sick. And she goes, he's sitting right here. My son died, though. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and then I took my foot out of my yeah. mouth and then wanted to be, like, blaming the bakery. But, like, was, I hadn't gotten a death certificate. I would blame. Why did I call? You know what? <laughs> right? It said R.A.V., this person's name, and it wasn't this person. I should realize that a lot of the Italians are naming themselves Sometimes the same what name. happens, you know what's not, you know what you didn't, you don't see on the bakery sign? What? Uh, uh, congratulations, Methacton Field Hockey. Right. Oh, you, you will. You will. All so, you have to do is give them a call. So, I called this family one night because I want to make sure people and families have very specific thoughts on where they need to be and how things need to be when people die. Right? Like, who's there? Was I there for the last breath? Mm-hmm. Was the person in pain? Sometimes, I actually think it more comes to like, where were they involved in someone's death? And mm-hmm. afterwards, I don't know that you need to be there when someone dies. I mean, I know people are very focused on that, and you've mm-hmm. seen this even more than me, but I'm, uh, I'm in the hospital, and I see this guy. And I'm worried he's dying. And so I call all the family. And I'm not sure. And they come in for a vigil. 72 hours later, I'm walking. And he goes, hey, Dr. Drum, I'm leaving. And he walks. And I was like, I guess he's not dying. He looks good. But I wanted to make sure no one missed this event. Right. Tell me your thoughts on how people feel they need to have control or their involvement Mm -hmm. in someone else's death. Feels crazy to me. Yeah. It, you know, I, I think it's, it's so different for every patient and family, right? Some people all need to, to be present and they want to have an idea of how long, right? Where they're asking, you know, how long do we have? You know, we're calling family from all over, you know, do we all want them to be there? 
Sometimes they want spiritual rituals, right? So sometimes it's, you know, we want last rites or we want psalms or songs and we want to have a healing, you know, a healing ceremony or a, a end of life ceremony. Can I tell you what I need? Right. One of the next patients who's close to death, <laughs> can we have the deacon come and pray for them? Yes. If they're open to it, of course. I mean, who wouldn't want the deacon to come pray? Right. Do we, do we, what do we I charge mean, for the deacon to come? Can we put that into a DRG bundle? I, I wonder if there's an ICD-10 code for that. Typically, at the end of someone's life, there will be a prayer said. And oftentimes, um, the prayer that people use is from uh, the book of Psalms 23, from David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul and he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Deacon, I have a question for you. Something, yes. something that happens a lot when we're doing palliative medicine or hospice, when yeah. we're talking about preparing for the end of life, is spirituality or lack thereof really does come very much to the face forefront. Yeah. And some people feel the need to experience some level of suffering because they feel that that's part of their faith walk. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, and, that is common, especially in Christians who say, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's one of those things where they, you know, they believe that they should not be comforted. And, and I don't necessarily believe that that's in line with, with the Bible. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the Bible talks about, you know, in the book of Proverbs, you know, uh, the Bible talks about him being our, our comforter and our healer. So I think we can often, you know, I think when you pray and you, and you ask God, I think God is, is a God that, that wants us to go peacefully and, and rest in peace, knowing that whatever happens here is all going to be, you know, uh, forgotten when we, I mean, you know, the Bible says it's like a, like a, a mist in the air. It's going to be forgotten in the, in the everlasting. So, and what do you say to our patients and families or, or just people in general who don't have that faith, who believe that this is it? This no, is it. What would you this say? This is it. What are you going to say to me before <laughs> I die? Yeah, the same thing I would say to you now. And I'm praying for you. And, and I believe that there's a chance for you to have a peace beyond all understanding. That there's a chance for you to have a, a comfort in the arms of, of a creator who wants to be in relationship with you forever. And that wants to extend this life into something that you're made for, which is a personal relationship with God. Well, that was beautiful. And I don't know how I'm going to make a transition from there, but I'm going to. We're ready for a game. <laughs> Are you guys ready for a game? Who's ready yes. for a game? So, euphemisms. 
when talking to patients about death, there is this thought and discussion among providers that we should be straightforward with our wording. And I do say, I'm sorry your father died. I am sorry your mother is dying. Um, But we are going to go back and forth. I'm going to let the deacon start and then Chris and then the deacon. And we are going to go with euphemisms for dying. Mm. Okay. And so you're going to go, and then you are going to go, and the last I'm one who first. doesn't come up with one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want, I want you <laughs> oh, to yeah, win you. since it's Doc and the Deacon. It's not Doc and the Deacon and <laughs> I'm Chris. Gonna give you, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you. guess for the day. I'm going to so give, give you the number one Southern Baptist euphemism called "Home to the Lord." Okay, yeah. and it's on to Chris. So I'm kind of torn between. Kicked the bucket? Just or give that's one. good. That's just, good. Just, just I'm sorry. Then, then, keep... All right. Then we're going to do kick the bucket. It's your turn. Uh, in the eternal rest. Passed on. Passed on. Pretty common. Number one answer on the board. Passed on. It's still me? Are you, are you not going? No, I have oh, multiple written down. Passed away. Oh, you cheated. You have them written. <laughs> I'm not playing. These okay, are the- okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Come on. Yeah, I'm not playing. Let's I'm go, Chris. Oh, you're just the so you guys know. Oh, oh, Chris. I, I <laughs> am the scientist. This is Steve. Yeah, he's Steve Atheist Harvey. Okay. Steve Harvey. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. All right. You ready? Go. Oh, um, no longer with us. Pushing up daisies. <laughs> I was going for that. There's no way you were going for pushing up daisies. I was. Um, mm. I'm stuck. Three. Is it? If this was world, I went to meet my maker. Oh, that is a really good one. Um, I'll give you a hint. It was this. It was an HBO TV show about selling weed. Huh? Six feet under. Nice, oh, nice, well nice. Done. Oh, I got one. I got a good one. Oh, um, that is a good one. In a better place. They're in a better place this, because we're from Narstown. They sleeping with the fishes. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's an Italian thing. That's yeah. not just Naruto. My family would say that. Has yeah. met his cement shoes. Oh, that's what my next one was. <laughs> All right. Uh, I may be calling this game a tie. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you both tie. And I think if we've learned anything today. That's just, you know why that is? It's because he's looking at the clock and he thinks this episode is too long. In fact, he thinks none of you are even listening anymore right now because you've already tuned out. And now he's going to say, you know what we need to do? We're, we're going to wrap it up. He's That's giving me I'm the saying. wave. He's giving me the wave. There it goes. All right. Keep listening, people. We're <laughs> almost there. Oftentimes, people find it uncomfortable to talk about death. Oftentimes, people feel it uncomfortable to talk about dying. And the honest truth is, the deacon's likely going to die before I do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what are you going to say to him, I am, Chris? I am the what are you going to say to him to give him peace? Oh, you can walk with the shadow of death. You're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, we went all I'm just the way kidding. I love you. Body. I love you. Good luck in heaven, my oh. man. They don't have micro brews in heaven. <laughs> oh, they have the best. Maybe they, they have got the best yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Well. Hey, Chris, when you, were, when you were talking about advanced care planning, though, because I think it's so important, like wherever that falls into play, how do you start that conversation with your patients? Like when they're healthy, what would you want for 
if you when were should to, if I you start were to become about... sick. Yeah. Well, how do you view it? I mean, we in palliative care get them when they're already sick, but how do you view that as part of your, you know, regular plan of care for your patients when you're starting to kind of demystify a little bit that of course. all of us are going to die at some point? Yeah, I think I start with, hey, do you have a living will? Have you ever thought about if you were sick and too sick to really be able to go forward and not be able to say what you want? Because if you're able to speak your mind, if you're alert, if you're oriented, oh, you tell me what you want. But if there's a time when you aren't, do you want antibiotics? Do you want to be intubated after two weeks? Do you want to have a tracheostomy? Would you want to live on a machine? Do you want CPR? Do you want me... To break your ribs, like Chris had in one of those situations early on, because I have been over a 90 year old woman and broken ribs and felt them underneath my hands and told me. But I don't bring that up. I just tell people, whatever you want, I'm good with. Write it down so I don't have to hear from your family. I think a lot of times what actually happens, Chris, he dims the lights, (laughs) puts on some soft music, he turns around and he says, strumming my pain. With his fingers. Singing his life with his words. Killing me softly with his words. Killing me softly. Telling my whole life with his words. Killing me softly with his song. (laughs) Two things you can count on. The doc is in. And the deacon speaks. I want to give a shout out and thanks to our producer, Tucker Butler. I want to give a big thanks to Chris Coletta Hanson. A huge thanks to Chris Coletta Hanson. When I say palliative, you say care. Palliative. Hot care. (laughs) Listen, you know. To our rapper franchise. Yeah. To our wives. Yeah. I know that you know, wifey, that I want to ramp up the morphine if I am dying and let me go peacefully. My wife has been planning this for quite some time. Yeah. So, uh, hey, like and listen on the show, subscribe, all that stuff. Or check out our TikToks with our girl, Holla Bree. She has been bringing the noise. Bree. Yes. Bree. Love Bree. Nurse Amber. We love you guys. Peace. Peace. Excellent brain trust to market and brand this That's set in stone like the Ten Commandments This show gon' be around for infinite years I think we can all agree on ice cold beers 100% authentic, you can't fake it Often imitated, but never duplicated So knowledgeable, take a lot of facts in Now I'm coming to close it like a Roldis Chapman